Welcome to Excavate, Uncovering Our Place and God's Story. I'm Jamie Dawn. And I'm Heather Strong Moore. In today's episode, we are digging into the parables of Jesus that center the experiences of women. Part of what makes Jesus such a profound teacher is his ability to connect with every one of his listeners and to make us feel like the word is for us. Jesus rejects the assumption that women are folded into narratives for men by teaching distinct parables that are about women and for everyone. Not only were women to see ourselves reflected in these teachings, but men were also to learn from the points Jesus was making. There's a lot to uncover in these parables. Let's dig in. So as we were thinking about just different episode topics for this season, This was one that we've had in our minds for probably a few months now of thinking about the parables of Jesus that relate to women, that are about women, that connect with the lived experiences of women. And so we're really excited for this episode in general. And we want to start with just clarifying what are parables to start with. If you've grown up in the church, you might be very familiar with them, but it's possible that you may not. So we just wanted to bring a little insight to that. So parables are metaphorical teachings to illustrate a point. So they were often word pictures created from experiences that would have been familiar to the audience. And the point was to help them understand perhaps a more um, abstract uh, theological understanding or biblical teaching in a way that would just make sense for the average person. So it's a little bit how pastors might use just kind of examples from daily life to illustrate their sermons, parables have an element of that. Yeah, I think parables came to life for me when I was in Israel and I was there with someone who had pastored for a very long time and he just grabbed um, some of the wheat and was like, this is what it would have been like. Jesus would have just grabbed the wheat and talked about like what this was a picture of. And I think for me, having that kind of moment where he was like, so struck by that was really helpful because it reminded me of how clear and tangible and practical uh, these teachings were for Jesus and the people that were listening to them. Yeah. And I, I think sometimes we just don't give Jesus enough credit for the teacher that he was and is. And of course, God is the the original storyteller. God is the creator of stories and good storytelling. So no one's better at it than the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, even as we've seen throughout our different episodes and seasons of like the ways that the book of Esther is just like such a beautifully constructed biography, essentially, and is narrated in a way that's incredibly interesting. And so the parables are just yet another example of Jesus just being a super effective teacher, anyone that is a teacher or has experience teaching, whether in uh, structured education or like Sunday school and stuff knows it can be hard to keep people's attention. <laughs> it can be hard to like break things down in a way that is engaging and easily understood. So I think the parables are yet another reflection of just what kind of teacher Jesus was. He wasn't just for the intellectuals and the elite. He is teaching in a way that is for common people. That's for everyone. And the parables also then reflect who was in the audience. Like the what 
the way Jesus is teaching, the kinds of examples he's using is showing who his listeners were. So they were women. <laughs> we're seeing, first of all, it's an affirmation that women were learning from him, that he was seeing them as important members of his audience. And we're seeing it was working class people and like farmers and business owners and people from across socioeconomic status. So I also think that's a, a very sweet element of reading the parables is it's also a, a mirror into who Jesus was talking to. I think that's such an important point because Jesus himself will end certain stories by saying those who have ears, let them hear. And those who have eyes, let them see. And so it's actually almost not for the intellectuals. It's for the people who are curious, who really want to understand, but maybe wouldn't um, if he were at that point referring specifically to, you know, like the unfolding of prophetic words or something like that. Um, but I think there's something to that even as we look at um, the invitation for women in there that is striking to me to put that specific invitation from Jesus into um, that light because I think we we don't I've never heard someone else honestly talk about the parables that are about women or about women's work and um so I think for me that's a picture of that those who have ears let them hear like I think there's a desire for people to hear the parables in a particular way and so for us to say let's uncover some of that. Like, let's get rid of some of that dust that's been put over and let's actually look at what these are getting at. What work is this referring to is so important to me because it's following Jesus's invitation to hear and see if we really are truly curious. Mm -hmm. I love that so much. So I think with that, we're going to go ahead and dive in. So we are going to be reading several parables, some of them a little bit longer, some of them only a couple of verses long. And we're going to span three different gospels. So we'll be in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This is not surprising. Luke has the most and John has none because that's just not John's style of what he was capturing about Jesus ministry. So to be clear, John still has many stories about Jesus interacting with women. Um, he just doesn't capture many of the parables in general. So that's why we're not seeing any parables in the gospel of John, but we're going to start in Matthew 25. We're going to read verses one through 12. And this is the parable of the 10 virgins that I think is fairly familiar. It's not necessarily a deep cut. I think it's a little bit more common, but uh, be thinking about our wisdom literature episodes as well as we read it. So I'll begin. I'm going to read from the NIV. This is Jesus speaking. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. 
The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. So this parable is a little bit sobering. It is very much about being on on watch, like watching for the return of Christ. Jesus talks about this quite frequently throughout the Gospels of kind of um, the son of man will come as a thief in the night is one of the other metaphors that Jesus uses of like, you know, not the time or the hour, et cetera, that Jesus is often trying to emphasize to always just be ready. The, the idea of readiness for the coming of the kingdom that you never know when Christ could be returning. And so to not get complacent, to not get distracted, but to always be ready for the return of Christ. Yeah, I think there's so much about this that's really beautiful. The end of it does feel very ominous in a lot of ways, um, which I think, again, Jesus tells these short stories, but they're so good. Like they really catch you. Mm -hmm. Um, I think what's standing out to me right now is maybe for people who hear this and they're like, why is it got to be about virgins? Um, And to just address that reality of this is more so about who they're waiting for. And so that would be a very clear picture about these are women waiting for a bridegroom. Um, And so, and you'll notice some of them are foolish and some of them are wise. Like their wisdom is not attached to their virginity. Um, And I think that's important. Just if you have all at all been influenced by purity culture and are recovering from that, um, then you might feel very struck by that. And I think uh, to just say they are, it's more about who they're waiting for um, in that picture of them being virgins. Um, And that would be why they are referred to by that. Like, I think for some people that could feel demeaning maybe, but, um, but to say this is about who they're waiting for, which would be the emphasis in that moment. Yeah, I'm definitely glad you mentioned that. That's a good catch. Because, yeah, it certainly could seem distracting or strange or judgmental, really, if we're not thinking more about it's more, yeah, communicating the context of the event that Jesus is illustrating. Yeah, and I, I do think it is significant, too, that this is coming. Jesus is speaking this in the midst of essentially the final countdown for him leading into the crucifixion. And this parable is coming in the midst of several different teachings about like being on the watch being ready for the coming of the son of man as uh, he says in different points so yeah this is one of several stories and yeah by no means is it meant to be like only virgin women are going to heaven or something (laughs) like that which i think could be sort of an an unhelpful and extreme take that maybe some people have even uh heard or sort of absorbed from that but yeah correct it is more about that um And yeah, Jamie, as you mentioned, this kind of attention to some of them are wise, some of them are foolish. For for me, that rang a bell thinking about the book of Proverbs and the idea of wisdom and folly, and that this is yet again sort of a lived illustration of that. And I'm guessing, I don't know for sure, but I, I could see Jesus intentionally alluding to wisdom literature in the use of this metaphor of like, this is how foolishness plays out, is like, you get distracted you're not thinking ahead. You're kind of having a short-term mindset. 
And someone who's living with wisdom is thinking to the future, is thinking about multiple possibilities, is very aware of the situation that they're in. And so I, I think this is also just kind of an interesting hearkening to the wisdom literature. Yeah, that really struck me as well. And I think I was very grateful that we had recently talked about it because in our modern culture, we don't use biblical language enough. Um, and so for us, like reading that someone is foolish might feel like the equivalent basically of saying they're silly or something, but um, to put it in biblical terms and say, this is a very clear picture of one is living into the ways um, and teachings of the Lord and one is um, not. And so I think, yeah, it made me also think about our episodes there. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And another possible just connection illusion is like we're talking about with the context of the wedding, it also brought to mind for me the wedding at Cana, which is from the Gospel of John. So shout out, <laughs> John. Um, and we talked about that in one of our episodes about Mary in season one, that that is part of Jesus um, turning the water into wine at the wedding in Cana is also symbolic of Jesus being the true bridegroom, that it was normally, Jamie, you talked about this, that it was the bridegroom's task to select the wine and to kind of, um, yeah, bring forth the wine for the feast. And so Jesus is also revealing himself. It's a miracle, but is also revealing himself as the true bridegroom of Israel. And so that's obviously a significant part of this parable as well, is this idea of Jesus being the husband of his people, which we have seen throughout the Old and New Testament and a God of fidelity, a God of commitment and faithfulness. And so the women also then are standing in the place of all of the people, like these 10 virgins are a metaphor for the people of God, that we are all waiting for our bridegroom, for the return of Christ, for our covenant faithfulness to come to its fulfillment. And so it's, this isn't, this is about women, but it's for everyone. Everyone is meant to identify with these women and to evaluate themselves of, am I like the five foolish ones or am I like the five wise ones? Yeah, I think that's a really important reminder that everyone is made to like ask themselves that question. Men and women um, are both invited to that. Um, and I think the picture of at midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom come out to meet him. I actually had never put this together. So maybe it's in part because of our wisdom literature episode. But another aspect that is often included in the wisdom literature is the Song of Solomon. And I think that language is actually purposefully alluding to that. Um, mm -hmm. Because that would be a, similar to like the daughters of Israel listening to the bride in that story calling out um and there's that to me that was a really clear echo that I had never really picked up on um but I think after studying wisdom literature I was like oh of course that's what that is that's that picture of like the bridegroom is coming everyone the daughters of Israel come that's so interesting I love that Jamie yeah that's super interesting that totally makes sense yeah 
Another theme that stood out to me in general from the story that I think is convicting and can sometimes be difficult for women, perhaps in particular, is that readiness implies a certain level of separation that and like resisting people pleasing, actually, <laughs> um, that in the parable, the 10 or the five foolish women ask the five wise women to like split their oil and the five wise women have to say no and be like draw a pretty clear line of if we give you half of ours then none of us will have enough and i like even felt a little bit of social anxiety <laughs> reading that of like you're just telling them no <laughs> um and so i think that's pretty compelling and just important to connect with of following the lord can be costly and can mean perhaps stepping away from either like commitments or um, just pull like things that would pull on our time or attention and possibly even relationships that would pull us away from our attentiveness and readiness to the work of God. And so I, I just thought that was a super interesting point and something that at least for us in our modern context, women are socialized to just be so agreeable and like, um, to just say yes to everything and be so worried about offending anyone or making anyone feel bad. I thought this was really interesting permission for a role model of women saying no. And like essentially what we would say in our modern terms, setting a boundary <laughs> of like, this is my true commitment is to the work of Christ in the coming kingdom. And anything that's pulling me away from that is not worth it. And I, I have the, the right and the permission to say a clear no to anything that's competing with my devotion to God. And that that's actually a part of their wisdom is to make that no, to say, actually, you have to go buy more, like, sorry, you weren't ready. Um, but that part of their wisdom lived out is to say, make that clear boundary. And I think that's so compelling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think for me, a We've talked about this in other episodes too, but oil is so representative in scripture of anointing and prayer. And um, I think so often like women are not given the authority, but are given the pressure to make other people ready spiritually as well. And to have like oil for other people and to, you know, bring their husbands to church if they don't want to. Um, and I don't know, that's kind of a trite picture, but I think it's representative of the pressure that women often feel. And this is actually saying like, everyone's responsible for their own oil and you actually can't borrow it from someone else. And we're all responsible to receive from Jesus, the anointing for ourselves and to have enough oil like stored up so that when the time comes, we have oil ready to light our lamp. And and I think that picture for women to say, you're not responsible. Like, of course, we're all called to love our neighbor, invite our neighbors into um, the fullness of who Jesus is. And also we are responsible for our own oil and to, to not, because so often what happens is women do that at a cost for their own selves. And so to say, actually, what I'm responsible for the utmost responsibility for myself is to have enough oil for my lamp 
and to have that be a really clear picture. And I think that's a really convicting picture for all of us really to say, am I focused enough on my own oil, my own intimacy with the Lord to have enough oil when Jesus is coming, like to not borrow that from even last week, but to say, I need enough oil for right now. Uh, like I, I burned last week's oil. Um, and so now I need, I need oil to keep being stored up. And, and the cost of that is costly. Like it's hard to say no to some things, uh, to do that. But I think there's such a freedom and a permission there that I think if women would grab a hold of that, it could be very freeing. Wow. Yeah, that's such a good word, Jamie. Yeah, I'm I'm just like continuing to sit with that because that it is true. That is such a burden, I think, for women of that we feel responsible for other people's readiness and are perhaps even like structurally are placed in situations where that responsibility is expected of us, even though it's that's not fair or or right. And I do think this story is interesting because for us in the West, we tend to go way too far on kind of personal responsibility, individual spirituality. But I think this is a helpful, interesting, I think, middle ground of like, there is an element where, like you said, you can't just borrow from other people. Like you actually do have to make your own relationship with the Lord. And of course that happens in the context of community. I mean, it's, it's, there's five wise ones. It's not Mm -hmm. only one wise one. I think that's still telling that there are several of them who are wise and they're doing that together. And they're also setting those boundaries together. Um, and there's also a, a foolish group <laughs> as well of like kind of leading each other down a path of foolishness. So it is still like, we're still getting a picture of, um, of a communal element to our actions and behavior. But yeah, I think that is a really important and interesting reminder of, yeah, we can't just, assume responsibility for every single person. We can't carry that weight and that burden and that pressure. Of course, we can pray for people. We can intercede for people. We can be role models and make ourselves available. And yet each person has to say yes to Jesus on their own. And I do think this has to be also a a reminder of like freedom and liberation for, for women where we could be tempted to feel like failures or that we, if like, maybe children or friends or family members haven't yet come to Christ or are really struggling with waywardness that we're not, we're not taking that on ourselves. We're not absorbing that as our own personal failings, but that at the end of the day, we're leaving their readiness up to the Lord and feeling a sense of release in that. Yeah. Cause there's, the personal responsibility to go and get the oil, but it's not like no one knew, like they just knew that they were called to be ready. And so I think there's something to that of like, we we're just called to do what we're like, we're not called to figure everything out. We're called to be ready. And that's what they were doing. They, they didn't actually know the timeline of their readiness. Um, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we also, we wanted to connect this story with another one that appears in Mark and Luke. We're going to read the one from Mark today, but um, 
this is a very more common one that has a children's song and it's a joke that I make a lot <laughs> because of the song. Um, but um, I think this story has very interesting connections when we read it side by side with this parable of the 10 virgins. Uh, so Jamie, go ahead and read. It's from Mark four verses 21 through 25. He said to them, do you bring it in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Yeah. So this is, the song is the, you know, uh, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine, <laughs> which would be, have been originally taken from, I think, the King James version um, of this story. So yeah, we have like a children's Sunday school song about this parable of letting your light shine. And I think this is so interesting compared with the story of the 10 virgins, where it would have often been women's work to tend the lamps. And so this is a gender neutral parable. It is pretty open and like both men and women would have seen themselves reflected in it. It's not unlikely that male servants could also have performed this task as well, but probably most often, especially in smaller households where there weren't a lot of extra servants, it probably would have been the women in the family who are tending the lamps. And so it's very interesting for me to think about women in particular feeling like this parable is for them or speaks very closely to their lived experience. Cause there's just so many, so many things in these short verses that can be so powerful for women of like one, the idea of hiding your light of feeling like you're supposed to suppress your light. I mean, that's honestly very modern language that we're using right now of like, don't hide your light. Don't suppress your light. Let your light shine. And this idea of justice, like this parable and Jesus teaching surrounding it are both very concerned with uncovering and with justice. This idea of not hiding who we are, who we've been made to be, and of not hiding, honestly, like works of evil or darkness or injustice, that this is a real promise of God seeing all things and God uncovering and revealing that which has been done in what was perceived as secret and yet nothing is secret to God. And it's really standing out to me right now. Cause just this week I watched the film women talking, which um, has recently come out. I do recommend it. It's very, it's made very delicately. So it's, it's about a very difficult topic around sexual violence, but it's made in a way that is really puts the survivors in the driver's seat and doesn't show any kind of graphic um, acts of violence, but, um, it's about this, it's based on this true event of a, a very conservative and remote Mennonite community where there was systemic sexual violence being perpetrated against women, where they were being sedated with, um, like a, a cattle tranquilizer and, and then told afterwards of like, one, you were imagining it, or maybe the devil visited you in the night, like, they were just being completely gaslighted about what was really happening. 
And so that's just, that's an extreme story, but that's also not completely uncommon for women that we may have experiences of abuse and trauma or just like in general, not being taken seriously, not being believed, not having our words heard or elevated. So I think for women in particular, to, to get there, that their attention is caught by this metaphor of the lamp. And then Jesus continues with this teaching about nothing's hidden that will be uncovered, that won't be uncovered. And this, that's a real hope and promise of justice and of, of God seeing all things and bringing about righteousness for those that fear him. And so I, I just think this is super powerful to think about this being in many ways directed towards a female audience. Yeah, I think it couldn't be like more beautiful, really, to remind women of that, that whatever is hidden um, is meant to be brought into the open. And I think I was trying to remember where this is. I think it's in Luke 11. He also uses that picture of it's interesting that he says it twice in Luke. Um, about we don't put a lamp under something and in Luke 11 when he's talking about it he says uh, he's using the lamp as like basically the way that we see things um, and not letting darkness in Um, but this idea of like if there's light in you you're it actually talks about like your whole being is light And so I think there's something very compelling to that, of that invitation for women as well to like not hide their light, but actually that, because I think we can get so caught up on one area of shame or um, insecurity, but to say there's, if there's light in you, like it's meant to be let out and your whole body is light as a result. And I think that's such a beautiful picture and reminder for us who would find reasons to hide our light and they would feel very um compelling at times to say like actually this really is hard or this really is true but to say there's there's light in that there's light even in the midst of that because there is if there's the light in you it's designed to be let out yeah i love that and especially for women around the world who like kind of genuinely are hidden or concealed in the home who may not have the opportunity to kind of move freely in society. I think this is such an interesting idea of like, maybe your your literal personhood is concealed and hidden and to know that's not the design of God and that God desires for the light within you that God has placed within you, the image of God that lives within you to be revealed and to be a blessing to to your society and to the people around you i just think it's so interesting yeah that's really beautiful i think we talked about this a little bit in some of our episodes towards the end of the first season but to me this is a reminder because i think we could over spiritualize this even in the context of justice to say like well god will do the revealing you shouldn't. Um, and to actually say that's that's not at all what this is getting at. Um, why would we want to be a part of the hiding and the concealing in an area of justice when 
the Lord so clearly says like, that is not what we're designed to do. And so often we do see churches. I mean, I think we've actually filmed or recorded that first episode right as the SBC report was coming out um, about how much abuse was hidden. And I just keep seeing things come out about even more that was hidden uh, that wasn't in the report. And so to me, it's such a timely picture for us to remind ourselves that anytime we're a part of revealing things that had been concealed uh, that are evil, we're participating in the justice of God. And that's, it's just so important because women are the ones who get the backlash of like, well, should you have been telling people that? And actually Jesus makes it very clear that it's justice to bring things into the light and that that's participating with God's kingdom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's lovely. It's true. It is an act of faith. It's an act of faith to bring things into the light, especially when there can be pretty significant consequences or pushback from maybe the societal structures or like communities that we're in. And that's, again, that was something that was a really powerful theme in the movie Women Talking is they are debating essentially like, is it God's will that we are brutalized by men or is it God's will that we resist? And that's a that's a very real question that a lot of women have had to wrestle with over the ages and still now when they're they're taught that their faith is very much connected to authority of men. And I won't give anything away in the movie, but I just think something that is so powerful and lovely is it's actually their faith that compels them towards costly action rather than kind of like they don't lump in patriarchy and Christianity as interchangeable. The women in the story are able to say the abuse that we've endured from men is not the same as who God is. And we're, we're going to respond to God by resisting rather than allowing the evil of men to continue to reign over us. And so, yeah, it's so for sure to affirm that's not without cost. That's not without tremendous stress and probably loss of relationship, which is also interesting again about the parable of the 10 virgins that they're willing to potentially lose some relationships in order to pursue their commitment to the Lord and their devotion to the kingdom. And that then here in this parable, God is promising justice and restoration and goodness. And like the more that you follow God, the more God will add to you is kind of the second part of God's teaching of Jesus teaching. And I do think it doesn't mean that it's not hard. It doesn't mean that it's not really difficult, maybe for a long time. And yet God promises an ultimate uncovering and an ultimate restoration and blessing. Yeah, I think, um, I love that reminder that it takes, it's an act of faith to bring things into the light and to believe that they are light. And I think it's true in this revelation of evil. And also just as we were talking about, um, you know, the, the clarity, even of our modern language of saying like, let your light shine. I think it takes faith to walk in that fully to say, I'm actually going to do that. I'm not going to make myself smaller for the sake of other people. Um, and I think for us to see that as an act of faith is a really beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So lovely. Okay. So we're going to continue. So we have chosen a couple parables that are um, about life and just sort of like daily life that aren't directly addressed to women or sort of like with female characters, but would deal with largely with things that were common to the lived experience of women. So they are for the most part, gender neutral. And the thing is in our modern lens, we would read it as completely gender neutral, but I do think at the time it would have been put sending like turning on light bulbs for the women in the listening audience. They would have felt like, Oh wow. Yeah. That's really connecting to who I am. Um, so we're going to read two from Luke. So I'm going to start with Luke 11, 24 through 25. And this is the parable of the unclean spirit. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. So this might be a little confusing. Like, what's that about? Um, but part of why we were thinking initially that this would have spoken to women is it's about cleaning house. It's about housework. And again, it's not that male servants would never do this, but especially in the average household in like lower income households, it would surely have only been women. It would, I'm guessing it would only have been in very wealthy households that had a lot of servants where maybe some male servants would do it as well. But almost every time it's women that are cleaning the house. And so this parable is, is about this idea of replacing former evil with God's spirit. And if you don't do that, if you don't find a replacement for maybe an, a, like a habit that you have broken, an area of pattern of sin that you have walked away from, if you don't replace that with new growth and God's spirit, then that pattern of sin can just resurge. Something has to fill the void is what the passage is about. Um, it's, it's, it's explaining there's going to be a void left if you're moving away from areas of sin and evil in your life. And so you need to fill that with God or else those new, those old patterns could come back even stronger. Um, so I just think this is, again, interesting to think about women hearing this in particular and this idea of like, oh yeah, house swept clean. That's very inviting. That's like ready for something new. That's ready for something to fill it. And this exhortation and encouragement of fill it with the spirit of God and make sure that the Lord is the thing that is taking up like your whole self so that you're not leaving room for something evil to take hold. I think what was striking to me is you can tell that women were really impacted by it because a woman like screams in the crowd um, as a result. And so um, verses 27 to 28 say, as Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it, which is kind of a strange, like it, the whole thing is again, for those who have ears, let them hear. Like it's definitely a little bit of a riddle happening here. Um, but you can tell that a woman was impacted by it because she's the one who is like, affirming that I mean if you've been in a charismatic church she's basically like having a talk back with Jesus um in this moment and but also using this like really clear language of kind of mothering in this kind of really interesting way 
and Jesus is like turns that on its head even um to almost expand in my mind like Mary's role but also this nuclear family so she's like well your mom is really blessed like and he turns it to say actually this is about kingdom family blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it and this really interesting turning there um that was kind of brought to mind for me by a, a guest that we just had Caitlin Chess um I had I was preparing for something else, listening to a podcast that she was on, and she said that she has the words blessed rather on her desk from this passage. And so I think it's so striking, but it also reveals to us who was impacted the most by this teaching, because a woman is talking back to Jesus in this message that he's giving. And so we see, first of all, that women are there that's important i think we need to keep pointing that out um and that jesus honors her faith to like have this talk back moment with him by saying it's even more than that like blessed are you actually because you're hearing the word of god and seeking to obey it and i just think it's so beautiful both this passage this story that he's telling and the way that we see that a woman is so impacted by it that she's calling out as a result. Yeah, that's lovely. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Yeah, and I I think this is a real invitation for female discipleship that he's saying, I like the exhortation of the parable in general is turn away from evil in your life, make that space clean and renewed, and like that comes through the help of the Holy Spirit. Um, and like you do that by fil- being filled with the work of God and being filled with the spirit of God. And so that's, you don't do that without discipleship. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that doesn't just happen magically. That happens by very conscious and like repeated continual devotion to God. And so I also think this is a really interesting parable to think about women connecting with it, that Jesus is really inviting them to cultivate their faith and to be filled with the spirit of God. That's a really profound invitation when you think about it that way. That's so true. I'm actually really struck by how much this parable is related to the first one that we read and um, that there's a readiness that's required in order that when evil would come back, um, your house would be clean, that you would be ready and prepared because you've done the work of discipleship to, to be clean. Um, and so I'm, I'm finding that very compelling too, of these themes. And even to think about like, I wonder if Jesus was trying to communicate a particular invitation to women by having that be kind of women, women's work was the invitation to a new kind of women's work of discipleship mm-hmm. and preparing one's heart um, and kind of expanding the picture of what women were, were responsible for. That's fascinating. I like that a lot. Because yeah, again, this is this is an illustration. Like again, how we would think about illustrations in modern sermons, there's a lot of similarities there. So it is this idea of like, here's something you already understand. And now I'm relating that thing that's within your frame of reference to something that you can learn 
from scripture. It's a new way that you can grow and understand yourself and your identity in Christ. So that's super interesting. If, if indeed Jesus might be like, Hey, you understand housework. You understand that that's something that's required of you in your society. Now think about applying yourself in the same way to like being filled with the spirit of God and growing in the knowledge and love of God. I think that's super interesting to think about. Yeah. I'm like, let's, I mean, there's more that he has to say about the work that would be specific to women. So I'm excited to see if that trend kind of continues. Yeah. Um, so then we're going to look at one that is very, I think very common, um, about salt, like being salt of the earth in some ways. Um, so it, Jesus mentions, uses the metaphor of salt many, multiple different times, but we're going to look at one from Luke 14, 34 through 35. This one's very simple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And of course, in other places, Jesus talks about believers being the salt of the earth. And this took out to me because it's talking about tasting salt and, um, and also somewhat salt as a fertilizer, as a form of fertilizer as well. But for me, this speaks to cooking <laughs> that like, which would again, primarily have been done by women. It, it could connect with men because I'm sure men would be the sellers of salt. So it could connect to like merchants as well and like business owners. Um, but for women who are primarily doing the cooking, this idea of understanding what salt tastes like and the ways that salt changes the flavor of a dish, I think is again, like kind of sending off light bulbs for female listeners of, oh, wow. Yeah. Like salt is so important for cooking for anything. And so what salt tastes like is very relevant for me. And this gives me an immediate picture of what it looks like to be that in the world. Yeah. And I think I've heard that salt in that way was still used in the kitchen, but also as like a preservation thinking about how we, they didn't put things necessarily in their refrigerators like we do in 2023. Um, and so that preservation factor would have still been the, the women's work. Um, but I think there's something there too of like everyone in the whole household would have been impacted by if you do not preserve something properly, the servants, the everyone in the family that was there. And so, um, yeah, it's just something that I think it would basically be like the kind of thing where if you talk about, you know, food poisoning, even if you haven't had it, you're still like, oh, nobody wants that. No one wants the salt to lose its saltiness. Um, and I think, yeah, it's just, you can tell that this is a very clear, relatable picture for everyone who is listening. Yeah. And this again is fascinating. I'm looking at the wider context, just refreshing the wider context in which Jesus is talking about this here in this passage in Luke. So he's talking about the cost of discipleship. So again, it's kind of affirming women seeing themselves as being called into discipleship. And what may be familiar perhaps if you read this passage before is he's using the metaphor of like, you don't go into battle without evaluating whether you can win and you don't build a tower without 
evaluating if you have the resources to complete it. And so then he's also saying like, you don't use salt that has no flavor. Like that's going to be meaningless. So this is kind of using multiple different illustrations for this metaphor of counting the cost of discipleship. And the passage also starts with something we've read in the past of Jesus saying, well, actually, no, we haven't, but it connects to other things. Jesus saying like, unless you hate your father and mother and follow me, you can't be a disciple. And we've talked about that with Mary, where Jesus, it almost feels like on the surface, Jesus is rejecting Mary of like, who are my mother and my brother and my sisters, but those who do the will of God. So this is, I think, echoing that same idea of our true allegiance is to the family of God, to the kingdom of God. And I think this is yet again, affirming this idea of being called into just a wider place of belonging not to replace nuclear family, not to like invalidate nuclear family, but that we're adding to it. And that discipleship involves seeing yourself as part of the family of God and being willing to count the cost to say, I'm all in, even if it may, it costs me something, even if it requires changes in my life, I am all in for the kingdom of God. Yeah. I love that reminder. I think really the parables, part of what's so striking about them is they're so simple, but they are calling us to something that's so costly. And I love that. I don't, to me, that's a very compelling aspect of who Jesus is, that he uses something very simple to speak to us about the profound and knowing how costly it is and yet still choosing to talk about it in a way that's very simplistic so that you can understand it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just seeing from that yet again, validations of Jesus inviting women to be mm -hmm. disciples and to pursue the work of discipleship in their own lives. I, I think this is pretty clear. Um, mm -hmm. So then we have another one. Um, I feel like I'm going to be DJ Khaled out here. Another one. <laughs> um, <but> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> of like one that's sort of an interesting um parable slash just like teaching it's a little bit wider than only a parable um but jesus is giving i think an interesting teaching about inviting people to recognize the truth of who he is so jamie's going to read luke 11 29 through 32 as the crowds increase jesus said this is a wicked generation it asks for a sign but none will be given it except for the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the son of man be to this generation. The queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Yeah. So I feel like this this is a teaching that doesn't get much coverage in like kind of normal <laughs> preaching. <laughs> um, but Jesus talks many times about in different ways about um sort of his longing for people to recognize him as true and also the risk of condemnation for this generation who are like witnessing him in real time who don't respond 
Uh, and so Jesus is constantly giving this, frequently giving this warning of, I really hope you're taking advantage <laughs> of me being here right now. Um, because there's a lot of people who didn't get this opportunity who have believed and they're going to stand in judgment for you when you had me in front of you and you didn't respond to me. Um, and so this is a frequent teaching that Jesus uses throughout the gospels. But I thought this, like this version of it was super interesting with specifically the queen of the South, or we see it more in, um, I'm guessing it would be first and second Kings or maybe first or second Chronicles. The queen of Sheba is another, um, way that she's described of this is a real person. These, and the city of Nineveh is real. These aren't fictional. So that's where it's not quite the same as a, a parable, but these are real people who were pagans who did not know God <laughs> and who encountered the work of God and believed. Um, and he's saying like these people, the queen of the South and the city of Nineveh are better than you, which is a pretty intense judgment on them that they would have felt very, I think, uh, offended by that of like, you're saying that Gentile pagans are better than us. You know, that would be very insulting in their, in their minds. And Jesus is like, yup, <laughs> I am saying that actually, <laughs> um, that these people, they were drawn to a movement of God and they witnessed something true from God. And they said, yes, and they are actually an example for you to follow. I think part of, so obviously these would be pagans, but also to say this is a woman that we should learn from basically like this, it's affirming the wisdom that she had to learn from Solomon. And I think that's so compelling. I also think like, this just sounds so harsh. Um, and there's something to remember that of course they don't want to be reminded of the pagans that were saved, but that basically is like Jonah. Um, but the sign of Jonah is the fact that the Ninevites repented, that there was basically a, the old Testament revival occurred in Nineveh because of Jonah. And so I think it's interesting to me the way this passage feels so intense and kind of harsh, but the invitation is on the other side of it is wisdom and like a judgment that's unto a, a turning to the Lord in a very powerful way. And so I, I think I'm struck by that just because it sounds, it's very like esoteric out there kind of thing, but the reality is it's an invitation to the result of judgment, which is a turning to the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. And again, and I think here again, there is an element of the wisdom literature being evoked here where obviously Solomon is very connected to the wisdom literature and the queen of the South. You have mentioned this, Jamie, in our preparation that she is acting with wisdom to then seek out wisdom like that wisdom <laughs> seeks out wisdom um, and how much she is like acting as a woman of wisdom and seeing it as more precious than anything. Cause she's wealthy. She has everything that she needs. And Proverbs talks a lot about wisdom being more precious than any other 
jewel or gold or anything else. Uh, so this is also, yeah, this really interesting example of a wise woman who seeks out the things of God and who finds them and who believes as a result and who the rest of us are called to emulate. Yeah, I think I I can't help but point out what is not said here, just because we talked about Jezebel recently, is that she was a bad queen or anything like that. Um, and so I think the fact that Jesus is pointing to a female leader, obviously there were like ethnic reasons for that for the audience, but more so, I think it's so powerful that Jesus is saying, like, I I think we've probably all seen at this point the TikTok interviews of someone like asking the question, who are women that you respect outside of your family? And Jesus is like, I at the ready, I got some. Like Queen of Sheba, there's some things to respect about her. And to me, that's really powerful to think about how rare it is in 2023 to hear a male pastor reference a female author in their study or the uh, leadership of a woman in the world and to see that Jesus is doing that. Jesus is saying, remember this woman who acted in wisdom to me, like it, when I hear a pastor in the rare moment, do that, it gets my attention. I'm like, Oh, all right. I think we could be friends. I think I, I respect you in a different way now. And so for me, it's so powerful that Jesus is using the leadership of a woman as kind of a throwaway point in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That it was like, Oh, here's one. If you need one, I got one right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Super cool. Okay. We have two more. Um, so we're going to look at Luke 15, eight through 10. This one should be perhaps one of the most familiar for us. It's the parable of the lost coin because it's coming in the context of the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son. Um, so here, Jesus says in the middle of those teachings, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she find a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So again, this probably is fairly familiar, but it's just really special that it's illustrating yet again, who's in the audience, who is Jesus wanting to understand, who is he pursuing with the type of teaching that he's doing? And so the lost sheep is this agrarian metaphor, once again, very working class. And then here's this parable that's specifically for women. And then there's a, a parable that's parental, you know, that would have evoked um, for people who were parents, an understanding of this is the depth of God's love. This is the extent to which God seeks after us and finds us. Uh, and so that it is just this really beautiful reminder of Jesus making sure he's hitting everyone in the audience and making sure everyone is seen and connects with the depth of his message. When you were talking, I was reminded um, of a mutual friend who was on a team at one point, like a work team with all men, and they would constantly use sports analogies. And she was not an athlete growing up. And so she didn't understand them. And finally, she 
they all really liked baseball. So she learned baseball and then they started using like basketball analogies at one point and she stopped the meeting and she was like, nope, no, we're not using basketball analogies because I learned baseball for you people. So quit using pictures that I can't understand. And um, I just always remember that because I remember thinking like, that was really courageous to name that. Um, but to me, because I've been in those settings where I've had to like learn certain aspects like that, the generosity of Jesus to make sure that everyone knows and understands what he's saying and to to do that in a way that's using such a wide array of pictures is so beautiful to think about those those moments where no one wants to raise their hand and say like actually I don't know about that like I don't know about basketball um and to be able to say I'm I'm so generous that I want to appeal and like use my understanding to help this make sense to you no matter what your work is whatever your um you put your hands to and I think it's so it's just a really beautiful aspect of who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so lovely. And I think it's such a good reminder and exhortation to our modern teaching where how many times have you been in a sermon and the pastor quoted C.S. Lewis? Or like even more, if it, if you're like kind of at a hipster reformed church of like T.S. Eliot or something like that, you know, <laughs> or like G.K. Chesterton. <laughs> And like, that's okay. It's okay to read those authors. It's okay to find them edifying and to validate their work. Um, it also really says like, I'm assuming the people in my audience are the same as me and understand that are reading the same things as me and we're all in the same place. Um, and I, I am really thankful for, for the church that I'm a part of. It's a large church. It's a multi-ethnic church, intergenerational. And our pastors astound me often with how they are able to use universal illustrations. And they're super self, like they're super intentional about that. I know that they're really thinking through, okay, how am I, how am I going to illustrate this in a way that everyone in the audience can understand? So they do very little sort of niche things of like athletic references or like authors or something like that. They intentionally use very universal examples. And I just find it so encouraging because it does make me feel seen and I relate to it <laughs> and I'm like wow yeah that I do know what you're talking about that is that does help me understand this aspect of the Bible more uh, and so I do just think that's an important reminder for all of us that Jesus is modeling here of he's telling the same thing three different ways so that everyone in his audience can hear it and this is the other thing that does it reminds the people in the audience of who else is in the audience mm-hmm. It reminds them, hey, somebody, there are shepherds here, or like there are working class here, there are women here, <laughs> there are parents here, or people who have been children <laughs> are here. <laughs> and so I think that's also a key part of what Jesus is doing, is he's also discipling the audience through his teaching and saying, let's all be mindful of who who belongs here and who next to you might be different from you and is still receiving the word in an equal way. I think that's such an important point. Um, and I'm, I'm just really glad you highlighted it. I think something else that's important about this parable is 
the like heavenly illustration is so this is not jesus is not necessarily saying like it's him that's the woman but the the presence of angels the heavenly hosts the trinity they are all rejoicing like the woman and so jesus puts god's self and the angels surrounding god in the shoes of a woman and so i think that's really important that we are seeing this feminine picture of like jesus is not afraid to say not only is it like women's work but that god's self is like the woman who rejoices and the angels surrounding the lord are like the woman who rejoices with her friends um and i think that's a really important point of jesus is not afraid to do that Mm -hmm. exactly okay we have one more so we're gonna be in luke last time and this one may be a little bit more familiar i actually have my church actually did preach on this one recently we're in a series on prayer and so um the church my church did actually draw on this story so it's the parable of the persistent widow which comes to us from Luke 18, 1 through 8, that Jamie's going to read. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Cool. Yeah. Here again, several themes that I think are recurring of certainly a theme of justice, of petitioning and inviting for God's justice to move. Another theme kind of of readiness of like, when the son of man comes, the same idea of Jesus returning and hoping that the the body of Christ is ready. Um, and there's just some things that I love about this picture of a persistent widow, widow of an annoying woman <laughs> who's like being high maintenance, who's um, giving somebody a hard time, who's not being kind of agreeable or people pleasing or kind of easily pacified. It's in the title, The Persistent Widow. (laughs) Like She is knocking this guy's door down. She's not taking no for an answer. And I think that's super like compelling and encouraging that one, yet again, it's giving women permission to be persistent and assertive. And it's normalizing that within the body of Christ of in the ways that this woman, it's good that she is being assertive and like repeatedly assertive. We are all meant to learn from that and that she is a model 
for all believers of how we are to approach God in prayer. I'm so struck by the question of Jesus, like, will I find faith like this, like this widow? And I just think so often we, even when we tell the story and we're doing it in a way that's encouraging, consistent prayer, I still feel like we talk about this woman, like she's annoying. Um, Like we agree with the unjust judge rather than Jesus about her. And so for me to like, be reminded that Jesus actually says, I don't know that I'll find, am I going to find faith like this on the earth? This woman is so full of faith and that the model for people is to be full of faith, like a widow who does not, has not received justice. Like there's just so many layers there for me of Jesus affirming women, affirming the justice that is due to widows and to women and to say, Will I find faith that is calling out persistently for this? Mm-hmm. Yes, it's so beautiful. Yeah, again, like it's just such permission for women to do things that our society doesn't want us to do. <laughs> like to be outspoken, to be loud, to be, um, yeah, again, like aggressive to the point, like assertive to the point of aggression in some ways. Like he's worried that she's going to attack him. <laughs> yes. That was so funny. Kind of like, hilarious. Right. Lest she come back and attack me. Which I wonder what that, if that's meant to just say more about the judge. Right. Than about the woman. Like, she's hysterical. <laughs> um, but yeah, that she's just like, no, this is what I am owed. And I'm not stopping until I have what I'm owed. And I believe in the one who tells me that is what I am owed. Like that. That's what the faith, I think that's where the faith comes from is like faith that justice is deserved, faith that justice is real and promised and um, is valid. That like it's a validation of the injustice that she's experienced, that she's saying, I'm not content with whatever I've been robbed of, whatever I've been deprived of. And I'm saying, no, I'm saying I deserve more than that, that God intends more than that for me. And I'm not stopping until I get the fullness of God's purpose in my life. I think certainly this is affirming like a generalized persistence in prayer, but I'm just so struck by how often we divorce it from what she is pursuing and what Jesus says is important in this story, which is justice. And so to be people who are consistently praying for God's justice in the earth, just so strikes me because that's what Jesus like Jesus is wondering if there will be people like that and the American church is actively discouraging people away from praying about that how mind-blowing is that that the very thing that Jesus is saying I wonder if there will be faith like this is often the thing that people are like you better be careful praying like that like, don't get too, don't go too far down that line. You might, you might get called woke if you do that. Um, mm-hmm. And yet Jesus is saying, I want to know if there is anyone who is so full of faith that they would contend for justice until they see it. And I'm just so encouraged by that as someone who has been called all kinds of things as a result of um, contending for that, that Jesus 
see and to think about like the people in hearing this story that would have been encouraged knowing that they hadn't received justice and that Jesus was seeing that and saying it was unjust and actually saying that persistence is worth it and a worthy cause. And yeah, that's just so striking to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really lovely. Because it is, as women are often the most frequent recipients of injustice, therefore it often falls on us to be the advocates and the activists. So many women have been activists and like leading movements and leading revolutions or like the the foot soldiers, like the ones who are on the ground who are actually getting the work done and organizing and making things happen when maybe there may be male leaders who are kind of the face of it. But women are usually the ones who are making sure things get done. Um, and I yeah, I think this is such praise really for like female activists who are like, this is not okay. We're not content with this. And even if it means I come across as hysterical or angry or, you know, people then want to write me off because they think I'm a troublemaker and just trying to stir the pot that I'm going to reject those things. I'm going to reject them as lies and cling to the truth of who God says that we are, the goodness that God has instilled on the earth and the goodness that God longs for us to experience. So, yeah, I, I hope that this parable in particular is a good word and a healing balm for women who maybe have been villainized as a result of advocating for justice and uh, just just an affirmation that God sees and that God celebrates our our faith and our hope in what could yet be and that the Lord calls us to keep going. So good. I think I, I really am struck by how many themes there are that kind of surface when you dig into um, drawing out these particular parables and in particular, just the way that Jesus affirms women acting outside of the box and, and actually says that all people are to model themselves after that is really like so frequently this um, story that we're told. And so I hope that that's been an encouragement um, as you have been listening to, to think about those women in your life that maybe you have been outside of the box and to even reconsider narratives about them that um, we have believed both women and men about other women and to think about what kind of faithfulness is actually being modeled for me in the midst of that. And, and just to reconsider and ask new questions about that as we are led to do so by uh, God's word. So thanks again for digging in with us today. If you're listening to this the day it's released, you still have time to join us for our live recording in Pittsburgh, February 18th. And all the info for that is in the show notes. So we'd love to have you join us for that day at the Jubilee Conference. We also have Excavate merch, and that's in the show notes. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Excavate Podcast. We'd love to hear how this has impacted you and just love to hear the responses that you have to each of the episodes. Please do consider um, reviewing and rating the podcast. It really helps others find it and uncover their place in God's story. So thanks so much for digging in with us. 
And we can't wait to see those of you who will be with us in person on February 18th.